people. Welcome to episode seven of the Little Debbie Downer podcast. I am so excited you are listening and I've had a few requests to talk about parenthood. Um, So today I'll be talking about the many stages you go through as parents. They all have their ups and downs just like the rest of life and no matter what you're told, even by me, you and your child's relationship is as unique as you are as individuals. So strap in and enjoy the ride of your life. So I read something recently that said there's no difference in the levels of stress, just the type of stress between infancy, toddler, adolescent, teenage, that when they did studies, everybody's level of stress was pretty much the same. It's just that the type of stress was so different because of the things you're dealing with. It's super stressful in the very beginning because of lack of sleep and it changes the marriage, it changes your work, all these different kind of things. Um, It's stressful when you um, have a teenager just because you're kind of not having that, I love you mommy, all the time and they're pushing boundaries and you know, it's just stressful all the way through, but it's office, It's also the toughest job you'll ever love. I mean, I'm being completely honest with you. Um, it's just like marriage. It, it's an up and down, an ebb and a flow. And it's just, I mean, it's, it, is, it can be as fantastic as you want it to be. And I know that sounds cliche, and I know that that doesn't fit everybody. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have our own things to overcome and break bad habits and things, and that might prevent us from being the best we want to be right off the bat. But, you know, you you grow as you go, and you grow as they grow, and it's it can really, really be fantastic. So let me just talk a little bit about the different stages of children, of growth. Now, when I was looking this up, I could find anywhere from like three stages to 478 stages. (laughs) Like, I'm like, to make this manageable and the one that kind of fit my idea of what I thought parenting was like, broke it down into six stages. So I'm just going to kind of say what the stage is and then just talk about it a little bit from like my opinion and, and things like that. So the first stage is the image making stage. This is when you... Are pregnant, you're planning for a child. I am going to just preface this by saying this is a child that you are looking forward to having. This is <laughs> in light of everything that's going on right now in the world. I'm just going to say this is a baby you, whether you planned for it or not, you're happy that it's coming. Because um, I don't want to get into the whole stuff that's going on right now. It'll just put me in a downward spiral again. So it's the time where you consider what it means to be a parent. You plan for the changes. You get the crib. You get the car seat. You line up the doctor for them already. You do all the things you need to do. Um, You figure out what you're going to do about your job, whether you're going to find daycare, whether you're considering staying at home. You know, the different things that are exciting and thrilling and a little bit scary all at one time. And I, of course loved this part because as I had said in a previous episode, it took me years to get pregnant and surgeries and and injections and all these things. 
And so by the time I found out I was pregnant, I had been ready for years. I was like, yes, finally, woohoo. And it was just a lovely time because I felt like I was a mom all the times that I thought I might be pregnant and was told I wasn't. So I was super ready mentally, but man, you cannot be prepared for the lack of sleep. There's just, you just can't. It's a shock. That's a shock. Relationships with your spouse might change a little bit with friends and other family, um, other children you might have already if you do. It's just, I don't know, we're conditioned to think that it's just a natural process. You know, oh, parenting is all, you know, it, it's just, it's supposed to be easy. It's second nature. They've done it forever. No big deal. It's like sleeping or eating, except for you don't get any sleep and you don't eat really good. And you're not really prepared for the total identity crisis of becoming you or you and your husband or you and your small family to just like be this totally immersive mom in love with this tiny little creature. And you really have to reorganize your entire life and accept and embrace that things are going to be different. And, you know, I know I did. I know that it was as much as I wanted my first, it was a really big slap in the face. People can tell you all they want. Oh, you're not going to get any sleep and it's going to be so hard. But until you really go through it and, you know, I tried for a long time to get pregnant, got pregnant. It was considered a high risk pregnancy. I don't even remember why anymore. Um, and I ended up being three weeks late before I had her. They finally gave in and said, okay, we'll induce you. Like that was back in the day. You're talking 1993. And I found out from one of the nurses that my OB and my obstetrician, his wife was pregnant. And so finally, like at two weeks past due, I'm like, your wife is pregnant, right? Well, yes, she is. I will call her and I will tell her that you are mean to me and that I am, you know, you need to do what's right. <laughs> I threatened all sorts of stuff. I'm like, get this baby out because all I'm doing is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable. And of course, being an overachiever, when they first told me, oh, you're pregnant and they sat down and told you all the things and now an ideal weight gain is anywhere between 25 and 40 pounds. So I went right for 40. I mean, literally I gained exactly 40 with her. And, you know, I knew in my head, but it didn't get to where it needed to go, that this baby wasn't going to weigh 40 pounds. And I was going to sit around and carry this weight forever. And although I ate healthily, I didn't really exercise. I was afraid to do anything that might hurt the baby. I lived every day fearing I was going to lose her. And, you know, we went through a period where they told us that, you know, she may have Down syndrome and we had to do a special test that took like three weeks to get back. And so that entire time I was worried about her, just all the things that come and you're not even, you don't even have the baby there yet. <laughs> so it's like, ha. Ah. And then the next stage is stage two, infancy. 
that's when you kind of get your attachment to the baby. You start to adapt to the new baby. You know, you kind of reevaluate the relationship from spouse to parent. And it's, you know, it's, it's lovely. I used to think that this was my favorite stage. I loved the teeny tiny babies. You know, you knew what they wanted to do. They either wanted to eat, burp, or poop. They were crying for three reasons. And I felt like, okay, that's pretty straightforward. You can't tell me what you want, but there's really not a whole lot else you could do besides those three things at this age. So, you know, this is the time you bond with your baby. Um, you know, you your parenting responsibilities are super demanding because they completely depend on you for every single thing in their well-being. And, you know, this was the time where I was trying hard to breastfeed and it just didn't work for me very well when I was in the hospital having her. Um, I was having a hard time with her latching on and it wasn't going well. And back then it was like very pro breastfeeding. I mean, it still is, but I get, I think it was some of the nurses I had, not all of them, but it was shove the baby here at you. Whether I was asleep and they woke me up or the baby was screaming, it was very timed and regimented. And I felt so uncomfortable with just all of it. And it was, it was hard. And I was, I ended up getting a staph infection after an emergency C-section. So I was in the hospital for a week with the baby. And my husband was there by my side constantly. He slept on this crappy little chair next to the bed. He was amazing. But they would bring the baby into me every hour and a half or two hours to breastfeed, not him. (laughs) And it, it just wasn't the place for me to settle in and feel like I was making any progress. So when we finally got home after a week, it became a little bit more normal. I was able to adapt to her, you know, patterns and her her needs and it was more just comfortable having my boobs out. It was, you know, so it it kind of fell into what it needed to be. I just needed to be home and be comfortable. Um, But I really liked infancy, but there were times where we tried everything, no matter what the crying was. And she just wanted to cry. And I remember just pacing back and forth in her, her nursery. And I would just make, square after square after square and sing songs to her and just like, oh my God, why are you crying? And, you know, I, despite all that, there's just something about looking in your baby's eyes and they're smiling up at you, whether they even know they're smiling. It's just super, super precious. And, you know, I will always treasure that time. So we did the image making stage the nurturing stage. Then we move on to stage three, the authority stage. This is when they're in like toddler preschool two to like four or five years old. This is the time where you start to exert authority over your child's behavior. This is when discipline comes excuse me, discipline comes into play. This is when you decide what's important to you. What can you let go? How much freedom are you going to give them to, 
you know, learn their environment, to make mistakes, to do all the little things. This is when they run all over and want to touch everything and smell everything and put everything in their mouth and all the things. And this is when you set those parameters for what's acceptable and what's not. And by, again, by I, when I say discipline, I do not mean spanking. I mean discipline. And I talked about that in my last episode, so I'm not going to go down that road again. I think we all know how I feel about that. But so this is an important stage where you decide what, you know, rules are really important in what you're going to do, time out, whatever, toy taken away, um, you know, when they break rules. And this sets the expectation as they grow. And it's funny because I was always told, oh my God, the terrible twos are awful. And I, I didn't think twos were that bad. I thought threes were worse. But the toddler years are just hard. Like they do the sweetest, cutest, loveliest things. And then they'll turn around and throw a tantrum in the middle of the grocery store or at the restaurant. My firstborn picked up, literally picked up her plate and threw it on the floor and crap went everywhere (laughs) in a restaurant. This is the time where you learn to get over being mortified by your child and you just are like, yep, (laughs) strong-willed. God love her. I love her to death. So the next stage is the interpretive stage, stage four. This is when children enter school. So they're in preschool or kindergarten um, up into the beginning of adolescence. This is when you kind of help your child be exposed to the world outside the family. You answer their questions. There'll be many. (laughs) Provide the proper explanation, what you want them to know. And you decide what kind of behaviors and the values you want to teach to your child. There's nothing set in stone and everyone's value systems are different. And you need to decide what's important in your family And that's what you need to stick to. And you need to tell them why it's important, why you feel this way. I am not really one to say, because I told you so. I mean, I think that you learn by explanation and by talking. And this is the time to talk. So, you know, you have to negotiate how involved you want to be with your kiddos in their everyday life, when you're going to step in, when you want to encourage the children to make their own choices independently. So this is a hard stage for that kind of stuff. You're coming out of toddlerhood, they're going into school, they're in a different environment for the majority of the day if they're not homeschooled, if they're going into school. You know, you've got a lot of different personal relationships going on with other children, other adults. You know, they have a a schedule, they might have homework, all those things. So it becomes a little bit different. They can definitely vocalize and tell you what they want, what they don't like a little bit more and use their words more than they use their physicality or tantrums. Um, I enjoyed that stage. Um, but there are things that you have to think about that you might not have thought about when they're younger. You're going to have to start talking about like, bullying. You need to talk about, you know, at some point before adolescence, you need to talk um, about sex ed in some way or form. 
I made the mistake, and I now realize that I called every body part something really cutesy instead of teaching them what it was really called. So, you know, I would call it a hoo-ha. I would call all sorts of things. And now I'm like, okay, penis and vagina are not going to make me explode when I say them. I just need to teach them their anatomy so that when they do get to that sex ed class in school or whatever happens, they need to go to the school nurse because they hurt something and they're like, yeah, I fell and I hit my hoo-ha. It's like, okay, what's the hoo-ha? And it's like, I just want to set them up for success, being able to get across what they need to get across and not look silly doing it. So I highly recommend teaching your child the proper body parts from when they start talking, when they start potty training. This is a time to say, this is this, and this is what we're going to call it. No embarrassment. You know, we didn't say that when I was young. So I, this was something I kind of just did what I knew what was comfortable for me. And now I know better. And I started to do better. And that's all you can really do in parenting because nobody really knows. So the fifth stage is the interdependent stage. This is when they're teens. This is when you kind of renegotiate things with your adolescent children. You've got to kind of share the power and decision making now. You've got driving coming up. You've got possible dating coming up. You know, uh, do you want to give them cell phones? Are they going to be allowed to play, you know, video games and, and how much and with whom? And what kind of friends are they hanging out? Have you taught them what to look for in a good friend? Have you taught them how to be a good friend, a kind friend, a giving friend, and to set boundaries for all of these things? And this is, I have to say that, as I said earlier, I really thought the nurturing stage, the infant stage was my favorite. And then my kids got older and I really, really like this teenage stage. It's, I can talk to them more. I believe in being honest. I believe in saying, I'm sorry if I say something that is not the best thing to say. I slowly, but I think at the end successfully, have learned to embrace their differences, to embrace the things that they feel rather than what I think they should feel at their age. Like life is not out of a how-to book. It, it, this stage is very individualized. They're not just going to say, okay, mommy, and do it. They're going to question. They're going to ask why. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, we have to figure out how much parental control we want to have over our kids. And that doesn't mean that you permit them to have, you know, complete control and decision making. Um, but you need to adapt and allow for more negotiation and have discussion about rules and limits. And, you know, it's like they're going to start driving. And, you know, there are rules set by the law about, you know, how many people they can have in their car, what times of the day and night they can drive, all that kind of stuff until they have their full license. But 
it comes down to you. You're the one who's in control. And you can say, no, until I feel comfortable, until you've proven yourself to me, you will only drive this far and with these people or no people. And slowly but surely, okay, now you can, sure, you can go to the next exit on the highway and go to that store with your best friend. And then it'll go, okay, well, you can drive 30 miles down and go to this, you know, concert with your group of friends as they age and prove that they can do this as a good driver and as a good human and someone that listens and is responsible. And I think it's very important that they have a lot of choices and where they can make their own decisions. I was one, you know, my kids, they were way harder on themselves in school than I ever was on them. I wasn't that great in school. My expectations weren't, I wanted them to be good, well-rounded people. I didn't want them to be scholars unless that was something that was super, you know, evident from the beginning. I just wanted you to be successful in school. And that meant academically and socially. And that's how life is. You know, it's about being book smart, street smart, people smart, all the different things. And they were way harder on themselves if they got a C or something like that than I ever would have been on them. They were very responsible. I trust my kids. I have an open relationship with my friends. With I'm sorry, with my kids. They can come talk to me about friend problems, about anything. I think that's super important. And I really tried, especially with my last two, to be as open as possible. And there were times where that was super hard, as you heard in a previous podcast, you know, when I talked about my sexual assault, that was a very difficult discussion to have with my kids, but it was super necessary. I wanted my daughters to know that how they, how do I say it? I wanted them to know that they can say no whenever they want to say no. And that's enough. And even more so, I wanted my son to know that girls can say no. And he has to honor that no matter how he's feeling. And it, it it's always about choice. And if they say no, no is no. I don't care what it means. I don't care if you're drinking. I don't care if you already got this far. I don't care. No is no. And I think they know that. And I, I, I felt that I had to share my story with them. And that's what parenting is about. I'm not going to preach and say, don't do this if I did it. I'm going to tell them why it wasn't a wise choice. And they're going out to be adults. I mean, they can join the military at 18. I don't want them going off and not even having... I just don't want to preach to my children. I want them to make wise decisions for themselves. If one of them woke up in the morning and said, I I just didn't sleep well last night. I don't think I can do it today. Okay, this is your decision. You know how many times you can take off during a certain period. You're getting your work done. You're getting good grades. I'm not going to, you know, this is, you're a grown-up. You're very close to a grown-up. This is your decision. 
you know, you know the consequences. And they have to feel consequences. That's just part of that age. And we can't keep them from everything. We can just help them along and give them advice and be there for them. They just need to always know that you're their safe place to fall. So the next stage is, and the final stage, the departure stage. That's where I'm at now. It's so sad. So this is early adulthood. I'm like, you know, um, like seniors, um, right before that, when you're going off and looking at colleges, you know, you're, you're one foot out the door. You're ex- experiencing and exploring what it's going to be like when you're out of the house, when you move on to college, when you move out and do, do jobs or, you know, what, what are your dreams? What do you want to accomplish? All those things, you know, that's the departure stage. You know, you prepare for their kids leaving. It kind of makes you redefine your identity as their parent. They don't, not that they don't want you, but they don't really need you anymore for the necessities of life. And, you know, it's a transition into a new era for me and my husband. You know, we are just, we're going to play a less central role in their lives. Not that we're not still important, but it's not going to be a constant. I'll always be their mom, but they're not always going to need me. And that's okay. Or I'm trying to make it okay. (laughs) So I have, my youngest is almost 18. She'll be 18 in less than two weeks. Um, and she's working. My 20 year old is going to college in another month. And my two older kiddos are, you know, doing great. They have great jobs. They surround themselves with good people. They, you know, have lives and they, I'm very super proud of them. And I have to say that the most important thing to me is that if I went back in time to the age that they are right now, I'd want to be their friend. I'd want to hang out with them. I like the humans they are. And I think that's important. And maybe this isn't true, but I think it is. I think that they would be friends with me too. It's kind of nice to have adult children that can also be your friend. And it's pretty incredible. And I've really tried to pay attention. I've really learned a lot from them. As my youngest would say, you know, I'm, or I would say, she would probably go, that's so ridiculous. Don't say that word. But I'm a lot more woke than I was <laughs> years and years ago. You know, I, I, they come home. I listen to what they're going through. Their friends are going through. Classmates are going through. And I see things through another lens that's not mine. I see it through them and the situation some of these teenagers have to go through. And I had a hard time during high school, but my high school years weren't as hard as this. You know, people joke around and go, well, man, they, they got the, they got the internet. All they have to do is get it. 
I'm talking about like socially. The world's a weird, weird place right now. And it's really hard for everybody. But especially when you're still trying to figure out who you are, what you want to do and be and all the things. And so I really have tried hard to see things through that age group. And I want them and their friends to know that I'm always here, no matter what the problem is. I'm always willing to listen. And I just really like this age. You know, I mean, there are things I miss, of course. You know, I miss walking around holding hands and cuddles and tickles and, you know, staring at them when they sleep. I mean, now they'd call me some freako if I tried that. (laughs) But just those little things, you know, the little tiny hugs and kisses and I love you, mommy. You know, you don't, I still get love you, but usually it's in response to me saying it first and it's a quick, you know, it's, it, it's just different. Um, I miss like holidays, like Christmas is different when they're older. You know, I'm, I could have bought hundreds of matchbox cars back in the day (laughs) and it would have been like amazing. And now it's like, okay, where's my 500 bucks? It's just, it's just different. You know, the Santa thing's different. The, the little things we used to do, the little reindeer food I used to make and we go out and sprinkle it in the yard and you know, just the Christmas gifts and the holiday excitement and, you know, all the little tiny little things when they're really young and not that they're not sweet when they're older. It's just when they're innocent and wide-eyed and everything's new to them, I guess is what I'm trying to say and not saying it very well. But, you know, I... I just adore them. And I think that, you know, all the stages have positives and negatives. And I think we need to work harder on supporting new parents. I know I remember, and I'm sure I've done it to other people. And, you know, you're out with your friends or something and you're like, oh man, the baby won't sleep through the night. It's like, oh, and somebody stems up, wait till they're walking. And you're like, oh, okay, good. That's going to be another hard thing. And then you're talking a little while later. You're like, wow, this walking stage is kind of rough. You know, they're just frustrated and all. And then somebody's like, yeah, wait till they're terrible twos. And you're like, oh, great. Here's another thing I have to go through then you're in your terrible twos or threes and you know you're like complaining about it and then they're like yeah wait till they hit puberty and you're like oh my god for the love of god is it ever going to end and then you're in puberty well not you but your kids (laughs) hit the puberty stage and that happens younger and younger these days you know 10 11 and you're talking about that and it's like oh they're so moody and yeah well wait till they're a real teenager And you're like, oh, gee, great. Then you're going through the teenage episodes with your kids. And then it's like, yeah, but wait till they could drive. And it's like, you look, you can't ever look ahead without seeing that somebody has said, you got this crap that's coming, this crap that's coming, and that crap that's coming. And you're like, it's hard to feel like you're ever going to get ahead. 
So instead of saying, wait till, just say, oh, you're in that stage? I remember that. I thought it was so cute when they did, you know, whatever. Just kind of think when when somebody's talking out loud about a stressful situation or, you know, time of their child's life that they're going through, just saying, wait till it's even worse probably not the best thing to say, oh yeah, I remember that kind of stuff. But on the positive side, blah, 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 blah. I think that if we could set moms up for, and dads too, but I'm a mom, so I'm kind of talking to the moms, set them up to see that they're not alone, but that there is an end and there is good things also to come because there is good things that come. And I, you know, I can tell you through all the things, all the yelling and the screaming and the slamming doors and the arguments and throwing the, all the stuff doesn't matter anymore to me. They are somehow me, I, raised for humans and they survived and they're good people. They they love us. They will come back to you. We all go through stuff. So just try to enjoy it as best you can. It is the most rewarding thing that you can ever do. And I used to really look for it and give them a hard time and say, man, I can't wait to be a grandparent. When are you going to meet somebody? When are you going to be grandbabies? Blah, 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 all the time. And I've kind of backed off that recently. I mean, I was driving them crazy. I know I was. And I apologize for that. But also just seeing how society is right now. I mean, these last few years have been hell. And I, it's, crap is still happening and still going on that are so backwards and negative and shocking, quite frankly. And I'm in no hurry to have a grandchild. And if I never have a grandchild, I'm okay. This is their life, their decision-making. It's not about me. And I want them to be happy and confident in their decision if they end up wanting to have a child. Whether they want to try for their own, whether they want to adopt, foster, whatever. I'm down for whatever and I'll help through whatever they decide to go through. Just know that you are doing and have done the best job that you can do and you're doing a great job you are the perfect parent for your child you are that's just the way it is so I think I'm going to end it there I will go ahead and do a quote if I had a dollar for every time my kids listen to what I said I'd have to borrow a dollar get it you know they don't listen so you have to borrow yeah I figured you got it anyway thanks so much for listening and I can't wait to talk to you again next Sunday bye